Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Things change, the more things stay the same. Shakhtar bite the bullet and got rid of the manager mid-season, which did cause a shock across the landscape. However, Krivbas still lead the UPL. Dinamo are in crisis. Ukraine have their fate in their own hands, going into their final Euro qualifier. And Minai remain winless. Rick Sharma, a sports journalist from AFP in Spain and co-host of Barcelona podcast, Siempre Positivo joins us to talk about the UCL and our boys over there. It's another episode of Ukraine Plus Football. Strap on in, it's going to be a great ride. Shakhtar did the deed, ladies and gentlemen. Last time out, you'll remember us all saying it wasn't going to happen. But Van Leeuwen has gone. Andrew, was it justified? Uh, yeah, we had a nice chat in the last episode saying that the Antwerp game gave him a bit of time and probably meant he was still a dead man walking, but probably might survive beyond the international break, uh, might get until... I don't know, the Barcelona match or, or something like that. And he ended up featuring, I don't know whether he was there or not, but Shakhtar had a friendly against Ruch during the international break. And either Van Leeuwen was there or he wasn't or something. But literally the day after that game, after that friendly, he was let go. And it all came as a bit of a shock because, as we mentioned, Shakhtar haven't sacked anyone mid-season in... I don't know, almost 20 years. It was all very uncharacteristic from their perspective. And I mean, at the end of the day, the appointment of Van Leeuwen was kind of uncharacteristic from their perspective too. You know, getting rid of Ivicevic despite the success he had and then bringing him in. And he just didn't seem to really be part of that Shakhtar makeup, in my opinion, or at least their modern makeup, which you know, seems to be quite a, a forward-thinking one, one that likes to use a lot of youth, that likes to be quite pragmatic, that kind of thing. Whereas what we got under Van Leeuwen was, other than that Antwerp win, uninspiring. And, you know, we're going to touch on about his replacement shortly. Uh, but, you know, even from his, the first game that he was involved in, it was sort of a day and night in terms of personality from my opinion. Definitely so. And as you said, uh, Marina Pusic has come in to take over um, prior to the Barcelona game. And we've already seen since him coming in, noises, comments coming out from the camp about the impact he's happened. But to take it one step back, of course, Dario Serna 
took over as caretaker because we had the UPL game to get through beforehand. I mean, Ray, were you surprised that he didn't pick up the reins and go with it on a full-time basis? Or, you know, is he is he a bit above that? And it's better that we've got Pusic in to, to take on the day-to-day running. Uh, well, uh, he never wanted to be a manager. Dario Serna, he claimed that and he didn't want that to be documented anywhere. And in his first team talk, pep talk, so to speak, uh, in front of the team, uh, which was uh, on the video, he said, I'm not Guardiola. Which was well, yeah. Obviously, you're not, but thanks for stating that, you know. And it it turns out that it's much more than than uh, there was, much more than just uh, showing off. He really meant that. Uh, I don't think he is that much of a, um, you know, about power that he wants to keep it no matter what. But he definitely uh, is a part of the team. And as uh, I heard uh, this week, uh, the situation in the dressing room needs to be balanced, and he is the one who does that. We, I'm not sure about uh, Marino Pusic uh, in particular, but his assistant would definitely bring some fun because that's Mario Stanic, everyone. And also, if we take away Serna from the club, it would be just um, Palkin and Ahmedov taking care of the you know Ukrainian football brands, Europe-wise and worldwide. Uh, I'm not sure. It's not the time to be risking uh, the staff members. I'm not. I don't. I'm not talking about coaches these days. So, uh, they're going to fit, and they're going to scrape through the rest of the season together. The announcement surprised me with Pusic. Obviously, his experience beforehand, he'd been an assistant the majority of his career over in the Netherlands. I think of the performances of Feyenoord last year have caught the shadow eye, most definitely. Now, Andrew. Going to come across to Rick now as well. What were your thoughts on the game? I was there in Barcelona on Wednesday night. Somehow me and Rick didn't cross paths. I don't know how, even though I think we were probably even in the same uh, press box. But hey-ho, uh, <laughs> great to have uh, great to have you here, Rick. Yeah, it's been a very busy weekend with the Classico. It's a very long press box in the Olympic Stadium where Barca are temporarily playing for a year and a half slash potentially two years or more, depending on how the building works, go on their new camp now. It's a very hard place to find your way around that stadium. Uh, The first time I went, it took me about 25 minutes to find where the accreditation entrance was, let alone where the press box was. And and luckily there was some Barca staff on hand uh, to help out. How did you find trying to get up there? No, completely the exact same as you. It took me, I, I found, like they said, entrance 10 or whatever, but that's actually high uh, above ground. And then you have to go down some steps and you end up finding it in the end. So, yeah, it took me about 20 minutes or so to navigate myself around there. I enjoyed my um, string lanyard, which I already made a joke about on Twitter. I assume that that is to do with Barca trying to um, save costs. <laughs> <laughs> It's not actually. It's weirdly, for some reason, in the Champions League, they just always use string ones. Oh, wow. In La Liga, they have a, a plastic one. But I actually prefer <laughs> the string one because, uh, you know, I've been here for nearly 10 years. So you you get a new lot. lanyard every game. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've started stopping doing that. Maybe that's related to the cost. What they what they prefer is if you bring your previous one oh. and just change over the, the paper. Or it could be to do with being green. 
I, I get fed up of all the lanyards and in fact it's easier with the string one just to recycle it rather than having to put one bit in the plastic one bit in the paper and so on yeah no I completely agree with you in that in that regard to be fair um it was just very windy and it was flying up in the face but anyway to the actual game and this was I don't know how you could say if there was ever going to be a chance where Shakhtar was somehow going to be able to beat Barcelona I feel that that game possibly could have been it just on the basis of how many injuries two first teamers um, Barca had ahead of that match but as we saw they got a 2-1 win Shakhtar under new management um, brand new coach first game in charge the second day in the job very odd in general kind of um, feel that he went straight into it so quickly after being announced Dario Serna took the pre-match and then Pusic took the post-match. And I mean, he sounds very frank and quite friendly and I mean, even charismatic uh, in the post-match. And I was, you know, positive vibes from him in that regard so far. And you could see that they, well, Schechter, for example, they started off trying to pass out from the back, from the goalkeeper straight away. Um, however, Barca... Right, rightly so, had the ascendancy in the first half. And I think they were exploiting especially that sort of left-hand side of the Shakhtar defence that seemed to be going a bit AWOL in parts. Yeah, I think Barca, you're right, completely right about if there was ever a time to, to beat Barca, it was this one with their six players out, five of whom uh, you could easily say would start in, in Barca's first-choice team. And then the other one was Sergio Berta, who's, a, who's more of a squad player. But not only because of that, but also because of the Classico coming up as well. You could, when you've got a Classico on the horizon, it's a time when in at Barca and at Real Madrid, sort of the players, part of them is thinking about the Classico, part of some of them are thinking, I better not get injured ahead of the Classico. This, I mean, the Shakhtar game was like a, not a formality, that's the wrong word, but kind of like a task to do before the Classico. Like something you have to, tick off before you get to the thing that you want like you know get out of the way airport security before you go on holiday and all that your flight Shakhtar was the flight and Barca was the uh, Classico was the holiday although actually they, they lost the Classico obviously so it didn't turn out like a very nice holiday but yeah they were the first half they, they came into it well like you say and, and in the second half they gave up much more to Shakhtar than I think that, that Javi would have wanted and Shakhtar, while they didn't create many chances, many clear chances, I don't remember really Ter Stegen have anything to do apart from the goal. I can't recall any any saves he had to make. Uh, certainly the feeling was was more, a bit more jittery or a bit more nervous than Barca would have liked in, in the home game against, you know, not the toughest opponent they're going to play, which is obviously Porto in the group. So why do you think that was in that second half? Was it because of the inexperience of maybe some of those uh, fringe players and obviously a lot of youth in there as well? Was it because that they maybe aren't used to that kind of scenario? Or is it just something maybe a characteristic of Xavi's Barca in recent games or this, to this start of this season? Well, they ended up asking exactly that again after the Classico to Xavi because the same thing happened. Second half of the Classico, they dominated the first half, second half. They let in two goals to Jude Bellingham. And Javi was asked that exact question, why in the second half are you uh, suffering? And he says it's it's a lot of factors. Some of it is the inexperience that you mentioned. There's a lot of, of young players in the team. 
and a lot of the sort of, as we mentioned, five regular starters are out, but also a bit of fatigue because of the injuries. Even though they've still got a lot of strong players in the squad, a lot of those players that have played in the last few weeks have played every single minute or every single game because of the injured players being there. So they have got tired in the second half and they have, you know, especially at 2 0 up, which you think, okay, we've got control of this now, we'll see it out. They maybe have taken the eye off the ball a little bit as well. Uh, and Sudakov scored the, the goal, and, and then from there, Barca were, were a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So, out of those, I guess, non-first teamers, you could say. Uh, I know that a number of players will probably be back by next Tuesday when the game's on, in terms of those um, five starters that you say. Who out of the actual players that played um, sort of caught your eye and maybe have won themselves potential to feature um, in Hamburg as well? Well, I think the clear answer is Fermin Lopez. had an absolutely brilliant game. Hit the post, I think he hit the post twice, actually. Once was a header, one was a shot in the first half. He scored as well and has, has sort of burst into the team this season. So, uh, we'll go back to pre-season when, when not many people had ever heard of him. He, was spent, he spent last season on loan, a couple of leagues down in, in Spain and, and came back. And not many Barca fans were, were really au okay with him. And then he scored in the Clasico in the summer, a pre-season friendly, uh, like a shot from the edge of the box. And suddenly from that moment, he's sort of burst into the limelight. And then... Javi didn't use him too much at the start of the season, but with the injuries, he's come in and, and he's done very, very well. And in fact, as you said, who, who's earned their, their start in the next Shakhtar game? He earned a start in the Classico. And to be honest, did very well again. So I wouldn't be that surprised if he started again against Shakhtar. But then, I mean, Barca play Real Sociedad beforehand. They got Real Sociedad on the Saturday before they played Shakhtar on the Tuesday, if my, my calendar in my head is, is correct. Um, and that's going to be a really tough game as well. It's at Anueta where they've, they've struggled a bit in the past, Barcelona. And I don't know, it's quite tough to tell whether Javi will start Fermin in that one and then, you know, perhaps bring back a fit again, Frankie de Jong to play against Shakhtar to sort of bring him back from injury or or even Pedri who was in training, although he wasn't part of the, neither neither he or Frankie de Jong part of the Clasico squad. So those players who did come back in the Clasico squad were Robert Lewandowski, Jules Kunde, who didn't play a part, he was on the bench, and Rafinha played a little bit from the bench, like Lewandowski. So I would be a little bit surprised if Javi throws them, certainly both or three of those ones, back into the team to start against Real Sociedad. They might well be on the bench again, which is kind of then an indication that they might start in Hamburg against, against Shakhtar. Yeah, 100%, especially with the fact that Barca have won all three games so far in the Champions League. I guess... And they probably will still have a bit of confidence to take it over the line, even if they started some of those bigger players on the bench, you know, to come on and then potentially win it, despite the problems that Barca have been having in the second halves of games, per se. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. So Shakhtar themselves, they've got Dynamo Kiev on uh, Friday of this week in the Ukrainian Classico, per se. So that's... Uh, lovely bit of you know parallel um coinciding between those two and however uh i feel that dynamo kiev are in a much worse position um in terms of you know quality than maybe a real madrid opponent would have been <laughs> for from a barca perspective <laughs> um and it will be interesting to see obviously they've got a 
an extra day, but then they've got a lot longer to travel from Kiev by bus all the way to the border and then get the flight over to Hamburg. So, I mean, it probably evens itself out really um, from those two different perspectives. From a Shakhtar perspective, obviously you said that they didn't really challenge to Stegen too much. I know that towards the end of the game, there were a few sort of shots and stuff. However, sadly, I think more or less all three of them fell to Stepanenko, the uh, centre defensive midfielder, who is far from um, a stalwart at scoring goals other than sort of worldies from about 40 yards out. And yeah, they fell to the exact kind of person that Barcelona probably wanted to in that respect. And, you know, they were either blocked or sort of went wide or something like that. Who maybe, if anyone, uh, stood out for you and I guess probably Sudikov, um out of out of everyone. And what are your thoughts on him? Because obviously he's being linked with the Premier League. Uh, I've even seen like Juventus being linked with him. Would you, could you see him somehow maybe in La Liga at some stage in the future? You know, if that was a option for him, do you think that he would ad- adapt well to that kind of league? Um, it's a tough question for me to answer because, you know, I've only seen him in this game and it's never the best game to judge a player on when their team has got sort of 25, 30% of the ball. You don't really get to see them. But what I, what I can say, as everyone will know, is he had that one clear chance and he took it brilliantly. It was, he absolutely left Oriol Romeo for dead. I mean, that's another interesting thing because Romeo has started the season re- relatively well after arriving from Girona, but has dropped off and is clearly not at the, at the level to play regulated Barcelona, to the point where I'm even doubting whether Javi will want to play him in easier games. Like, for example, the second leg, well, second match in, in, in Hamburg against Shakhtar. Maybe Javi will think Romeo's not even at the level to, to play against against Shakhtar uh, and, and needs to be on the bench. But then, there's, you know, they don't really have any other defensive midfielders in the squad. So, we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah, he took his goal superbly well, finished Caught Sersegan out, I think, at the, the near post with the finish. I think maybe he would have expected the ball to go across it. But yeah, nice, nice, nice finish. And if he finishes like that on a regular basis, you'll you'll know better than, than I do. Then why not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just sort of to round up this particular bit about the about the first leg uh, from a Shakhtar perspective for for listeners, I felt that Pusic, you know. I mean, it's not the end of the world that that Shakhtar lost that game in particular. They didn't have the worst performance in terms of, I feel that if that was under Van Leuven, it could have been a lot worse, uh, in all honesty. One thing I saw, the stark difference that I saw was Pusic from the very start of the game on the edge of his technical area, sort of shouting things, trying to command his players, tell them what to do, that kind of thing, which in stark contrast to Van Leuven, you know, in the first two games that I was at, even in the Antwerp match, where he came out a bit in the second half when Schachter did come back to win 3-2. But ultimately, he was a very reserved character, a lot more of a authoritarian in their approach, um, where he sort of oversees everything and lets ensure sort of tries to enforce things from from a player's perspective. So it was it was interesting to see Bondarenko straight way back I know that Darius Serna was on the bench instructing Pusic a bit to sort of bed him in a bit easier because, like I said, it was his first full day in the job at, at Shakhtar. <laughs> and 
yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward, really. I think the first real test will be that Dynamo Kiev game, but... I thought it was very, very engaging, like you say, after the game, Kuzic. Uh, spoke really nice English. We've, in fact, we were joking, because the one word he said doesn't exist. Uh, was hectical. He said the, it had been a hectical few days since he'd, he'd taken over. And we, we, on our pod, we were discussing the game, we were joking about that. But then I looked it up, and actually, it is an archaic word, hectical. It doesn't exist in the past. Maybe when he learned English, he learned <laughs> the word hectical. From, from my perspective, I feel that he is a lot more in the mould. Well, we'll see how he goes. Very inexperienced as a first-team manager, because obviously the majority of his professional coaching career has been an assistant and he's been assistant to Arna Slot at um at Feyenoord recently and then he was with him at RZ before that as well and I think he's literally had an interim period in charge of a um I think that was at Twente and that was for you know a very short period of time. So this is sort of his big test, the big risk from Shakhtar as well to do it because I think a lot of people were expecting maybe Dario Serna to stay on um, as the caretaker, maybe until the winter. With winter break, then you'll be able to find someone ahead of that second leg. Um, what are your expectations from Barcelona? Obviously, we're we're sort of overseeing the fact that they're, we got to see a result from the Sociedad, Sociedad game. And similarly, we might see some players return it might be that bedding in return game for the likes of Pedri, um, Kunde and and others. Um, how do you think they're going to approach it in the second leg? Do you think that they will be going a bit more, you know, just for the jugular, win this, and then it's more or less guaranteed they're through into the next round? No, I, th- I think after what happened in each of the previous two seasons, where they've been knocked out in the group phase both times, I think they're, they're not messing around this. They want to, they want to go and they want to win that game and they want to have qualifications sewn up before game five, game six, basically, even though they've, they've then got Porto at home and then travel to, to face Antwerp. So, I mean, both games they should win. Uh, but I think that it, the, the key for them is is getting it done as early as possible. So there's no doubt. It's, like you said, there's a lot of young players in the squad and there's, you know, Javi keeps bringing even more and more of them through. I think the, the least uncertainty and doubt there is the better win the game and then and then they can relax a little bit not in a competitive sense but in terms of a, a worried sense which will be good for the atmosphere around the squad It'll, the team can, can build some confidence they, the class goes out of the way now they, they lost it but I don't think faster are are too sort of down in the dumps like but then the Real Sociedad game is, is kind of crucial in that regard because if they can if they bounce back and beat Real Sociedad I think they'll, they'll go flying into that Shakhtar game if they lose against Real Sociedad, then then things could be interesting. Then the worries and the doubts are, are absolutely in their minds going into, into Shakhtar. A shame that we didn't see Shahrinsky come on, uh, even towards the end of that. Um, Pushich was actually pretty bold. He took off Stepanenko in the final minutes of normal time and brought Eganaldo as like a attacking winger. So he was actually going for the draw in that respect. So fair play. Um, maybe we might see Shahrinsky in the, in the second leg. Potentially, you know, if if uh, there is some kind of thing, but yeah, it was was nice to see some of those photos where him and Xavi were hugging. Yeah, it would have it would have been good to to see him play. And Pusic was even asked about it at the end. He liked that question. <laughs> he was asked. I think it was asked. I know he was asked by my friend and colleague Tony Wamati, who's on, who's on our pod. He asked about Chigrinsky because he knows Chigrinsky quite well. He, he went to meet him 
Uh, he's done an interview with him, which is on our part. I, I think it's free that anyone can listen to now. I'll, I'll check to make sure it is. But I think Sam made it free this week. So if people want to listen to Chigrinsky, talk to Tony ahead of the second leg, why not? <laughs> like, uh, It's quite an interesting interview. Obviously, it involves a lot of stuff, a lot of emotional stuff with the war and, and everything like that. So yeah, well worth a listen. Not, yep, Sempra, I, wasn't, I didn't actually mean to, to bump, bump my butt on, on, on it. No, like no, 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 100% yeah. do it. Sempra Positivo, <laughs> right? Get get listening, guys. And um, I will actually have a, have to, you know, get in on that as well because I feel that that will be quite an interesting chat for sure. And I mean, we're going to be chatting a bit more about Shakhtar going forward slightly later in the pod mm. um, when it comes to the big game uh this weekend oh yeah it's going to be a goodie it's going to be a goodie but of course i mean uh beforehand we need to quickly touch on i'm sorry i didn't play um this week i mean um so no points regarding the coefficient there um obviously with the 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 troubles the difficult problems going on in the middle east maccabi's games have been postponed uh presently it looks like Soria will be facing Maccabi away on a Saturday later in November. Uh, it looks like the home game will go ahead, though, on the correct match day, match day four. Um, but with Israeli league being postponed and all the problems that Israel is facing at the moment against the escalation of the war, we don't know what's going on. But what we do know, and I know Ray... And Andrew, you'll both agree with me that for anyone going through this, as we've all been through it, occasions like the one that Maccabi will go into will be a great opportunity for Israelis to express their Israeli identity. And it's going to be something that Zaria are going to have to take into consideration on those two match days that they're going to take on a very passionate team with passionate national identity that they're going to want to express through every means available to them, including sport, which it's going to mean for Israelis going into games like this going forward. So it's going to be a very tough ask of Zaria, but as we've seen earlier on in their campaign, European campaign, certainly one that they're up to. Пончишин частіше слово в матчі за участь у Дніпра. В цьому сезоні була нульова нічия із руком. Передача. Виймай, діставай. От дочекався Кривбасового шансу. Кожушко. Дубль. Олега. Кожушка. UPL is really hotting up into what could well turn out to be the most intriguing season since independence in 1991 and as it stands two pro well except for andrew two of the most unpredictable and unexpected teams to be hanging out at the top end of the table are sitting right up there in krivbas and policia now i mean ray when we talk about krivbas and policia did you expect them to be competing with obelon or Sitting at the top of the table, go as as we come into this run into winter break. As I said last time, they are um, they're not gonna last long. They're not gonna be um, there and after the winter. Even though we have the unique championship this season, as you said, Adam. But uh, 
Mm, well, it takes it takes something more than um, than just money and good signings to hold on there. And, and even Vernadov, I mean, crew bus wise, I mean, the all the support they have and all the all the ties they have, let's say, all the connections. It's um, it's not enough in Ukrainian football. And I'm going to go all the way with this because it's not even something that we've seen before many times. It's um, winter champions, yes. That's going to be the maximum of those, either of those teams, Kribas or Polisa. Well, it's, it's great that we can talk about this. I mean, Andrew, you know, you've been watching it closely and you've been champing at the bit for Polisia in Europe. I mean, how are they doing this? Is it that they are stepping up or other teams are stepping back? First of all, I feel that both of them probably are deserving of their positions. Obviously, both of them have also played at least one or two games more than, for example, Shakhtar. Dinamo also have got three games in hand per se, but that's another story in particular on whether they'd even win those three games in hand. Um, But Krivbas are doing what sort of what they're being asked for. They beat Chorna Moritz um, about a few game weeks ago, just before the international break. They've been beating the likes of Nipro 1 under Maximov, who were, until they faced them this weekend, unbeaten and sort of on a win streak of five in a row. And Krivbas won 3-0. And with comfort, and even without any sort of controversy or, or anything like that. So... It, it's quite astonishing, really, more so from my perspective, what Vernadub is doing with players that you'd discard, really, uh, in recent mm-hmm. seasons. Like, the two, the joint top scorers with Bualski at the moment, but it's, um, you've got Zadaraka, who's got six goals, and Kozushko. And Kozushko is like a fringe Kolos player, like, I don't know, two or three seasons ago. And now he's bloody scoring and he's scoring bangers as well. He's like, he's playing really well. And on top of that, the mix of Krivbas's recent recruitment of these uh, foreign players from Africa who are actually pretty decent, to be honest. Dibango, definitely yeah. one of the players of the season so far in terms of, you know, how integral he is to uh, Krivbas's game. Uh, similarly, for me, uh, Danilo Biskorovaini, he's been really solid at centre-back. Obviously, coming back from FC Astana, uh, not really playing in Ukraine for the past few years until he made that comeback last year. And he's bedded in, he's their captain, and he sort of looks really solid. And I mean, we've even been seeing certain talks like Vovazverov, friend of the pod, he was asking him about sort of Zbirna and whether that's on the cards. And I mean... The realistic nature of anyone from Krivbas getting a call-up for the Italy game is probably unlikely. But potentially, you know, maybe we might start seeing something next year. Maybe if there's like, if, you know, there's some friendlies in uh, in the spring, if Ukraine somehow qualify automatically or for the playoffs. And then potentially if Krivbas somehow keep up and make it into Europe next year, then we might see them, these players start making a name for themselves in the Nations League next autumn. So it's very interesting. But I mean, just the recruitment from um, Kribas, hats off to them, really. Because they're not spending big money. They don't have that big money. 
really, compared to even Polisia, who are just behind them, where you feel that they can keep it up and, you know, you know, carry on going for it as long as they possibly can, even in the winter break. If they lost some players, they'd be able to replace them. It's just the sort of the sum of Werner Dub's hard work. And I mean, I feel that they will be a sensation. Whether they will win the league at the moment is obviously too hard to tell, really, and whether they could be able to keep it up. But listen, this weekend, it's Polisia versus Krivbas. This is this is the top of the table clash. This is the real Klasichner we're talking about this weekend. Um, or the new wave Klasichner. Um, I like that. So, I do so like that, will that. Be, that will be interesting to see who comes out on top of that. Um, and then going forward, listen, these are the fixtures that Krivbas have got coming up. They've got Dynamo Kiev the week after. And then after the international break, just before the winter, they've got three games against Minai, Alexandria and Zoria. And all three of those oh, teams wow. currently are in the bottom five. So in terms of what Ray said there, in terms that they could be winter champions, I think that's a uh, you know, realistic potential. And, you know, when we go to uh, Polita, for example, similarly, they've got Krivas as well. Then they've got Metalis 1925, Shakhtar, which I think will be their biggest test of the season so far. And then um, Veres and Nipro won. So, if anything, I think Polisi have actually got it tougher. Krivbas potentially could, you know, have, have a solid run in here going into this. And, you know, just by the fact that the Deep Pro One have been playing really well recently under Maximo. They've been solid at the back, uh, not too problematic. Their their forwards have been scoring. They've been doing some decent stuff uh, under Maximov, who's really steadied the ship there. But then Krivbas just sort of dismantled them with relative ease as well. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be exciting these next few weeks, and um, let's see if that all che- let's see if all that stays the same because. Funnily enough, in the last episode, we were talking about Obelon winning three on the bounce. And since that pod, it's not gone too well. <laughs> so, you know, that, that is the um, the UPL way. Let, let's see what happens. Definitely. I mean, just, so- to adapt, just to jump in for a second, sorry, Adam. Uh, Obelon is doing exactly what I predicted. They're playing against the rules. They're going as low as possible. Because remember, uh, after winter comes spring, every team tries to dump every plans they have they start they start they stop uh, receiving money they start saying we don't have finances for the Euro- europa league and they try to finish as low as possible and that's exactly what's going to happen and opelon is just playing uh ahead of time here we are at this stage of the season just going into november and uh as you said the new wave plus each and they almost supersedes the classic the class each class each that's uh, and the first one's coming up uh, this weekend on on Friday, and I mean we're in the bizarre, bizarre world now where we've got Dynamo Key fans saying we want to be more like Shakhtar, where we get rid of our manager mid-season and bring new ones in, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, is there any chance, guys? Do you see in the world where Shakhtar win? And Luchescu's out before we get to winter break. Well, uh, we have plenty of uh, uh, coach sackings this season already. I'm not sure about the exact number. So uh, technically, it's like a sacking for, uh, per month, one per month. Uh, Dynamo is not the kind 
of the club that would do that. And since Shakhtar is uh, adopting their tactic of uh, hiring the manager of the club that beat you uh, beforehand, uh, I don't think they would establish a new trend because the trend is established. The clubs are sacking their managers and they're not even happy with the new ones sometimes. But it's oh, true. And right. Truth be yes, right. Are you telling people that Van Leeuwen's going to Dinamo before the winter break? Is that what you are putting out there? Uh, uh, everything's possible, but Dinamo would just follow, um, go with the flow. And uh, they don't, uh, albeit they are um, Dinamo, they don't have the means to uh, afford uh, a coach change. They would be replacing him like they did last year with some Dinamo heart. And of course, Dinamo went into this season on the back of the return of the Golden Boy. And it's all gone wrong there as well now, Andrew, hasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, we spoke in the last episode about Jan Wollenko being injured. At that stage, I think we didn't know exactly for how long he was about for. But it looks like he's done his knee in, potentially some sort of uh, he needs reconstruction there. So he's going to be out for four months. And mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, it can't be understated how integral Yermolko is to this Dynamo team because him and Bialski are very much the creative outlets. Now that Yermolko's gone, it's all on Bialski. <laughs> and when when he's not being fed the ball, what, what more do you want? And we've seen it sort of time and time again. Since the last pod that we had, obviously, since the international break started, uh, they've played two games, lost to Dnipro 1, uh, Maximov, you know, doing a bit of a masterclass there in defence. Dynamo being pretty poor in attack. And then drawing to Colos, who seem to be their bogey team every season. Or whenever times are tough, Colos sort of double it down on Dynamo Kiev, don't they? And that's what we saw on the weekend. One all draw. Uh, Luchkevich scoring an absolute banger against Dynamo. So no real concerns from a, from that perspective, but it was just such a flat performance. And Luchescu blaming referee decisions uh, and stuff like that on Vanat, who sadly is showing himself to be very unreliable and very hot-headed. Okay, he's still young, but we saw some of the stupid stuff he's been up to on the pitch last season and during the under 21 euros when he got bloody sent off and what's he done this weekend he got a second yellow for diving and his first yellow was for a you know unnecessary lunging and now he misses the klasichna and he's their sort of main striking center forward outlet so now what so now that they're without Yermolenko and they're without Vanat so that's you know two goal-scoring people there. I mean, really, realistically looking into this, I think last the last Klasichina at the end of last season ended like 1-0. And um, what was it? When Stepanenko and Andrievsky scored like bangers. Um, but this time round, obviously under the new wave, new manager bounce of, of Pusic, I feel that Shakhtar really should have this comfortably to be honest, even with their own problems and the fact that he's a new manager, he might not be able to instill stuff and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that they might have one eye on Barcelona um, on the Tuesday, 
regardless of that, Shatar on paper and from what even what we saw in those last 20 minutes or second half against Barcelona, they should be dealing with this Dynamo team with relative ease. And then you think about that and you take that into account and you look at Dynamo's coming up fixtures. They've got Krivbas next. <laughs> and uh, and then the Ruch. So it actually could be pretty rough mm-hmm. in all honesty. Um, and that final game before the winter break is against Oberloin. So um, that's going to be interesting for sort of the, the circle <laughs> returns around. But in general, it's, I mean, if you're a Dynamo fan, like I said, They've got they're, they've they're currently nine games into the season. Obviously, they've got three games in hand on Krivbas. Um, only one game in hand on Shakhtar, and Shakhtar are five points ahead of them. So if Shakhtar obviously, you know, win on Friday, and even with Dynamo say won their game in hand, then they'd still be five points ahead. So it's all a bit crisis management at the moment, and. We thought that Dynamo's season last year was terrible. Is there a possibility that it could actually be worse this campaign? And and like we've just discussed, I don't see Dynamo sacking Luchescu before the winter break. Maybe the maybe the pod curse will strike again and he will be sacked <laughs> by our next record. <laughs> I mean, but the, you know, it's thing, crazy. The thing for me is, you know, in in previous seasons, when either Dinamo or Shakhtar have been performing badly, you always expected them to finish top two, top three at worst. And you always knew that there would be some form of European football that would top up the coffers. This season, and for the first time that I can ever think of, you know, if Shakhtar hadn't made their, their change, you're talking potentially them finishing out the top four. Um, Dinamo <laughs> looking like they've got a real job on their hands to finish in the top four. And depending on what happens in the cup, that that could very well mean if you're fifth, no European football. And that, I think, may have forced Shakhtar's thinking a little bit in this. That, hang on a second. Kriv Bass and Polisio. They're the real thing. Rook, they're giving people a good game here. If we don't book up our ideas, we could find ourselves fourth or fifth and dealing with champ- uh, conference league revenues, which isn't what Shakhtar's about. And I think we may get to the stage where Circus may go, hang on a second. We weren't interested in the conference league, but now we might be kicking and screaming to get into the conference league if we don't make a change because there there really are a lot better teams in the UPL this season at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you could say that the level of like Shakhtar and Dynamo in particular has dropped now and those teams that were sort of below them has have risen so it's sort of like met in the middle now there there is a mean obviously the low, the level is lower but it's so much more competitive now yeah and there are other teams that just don't really care like for example remember last year Krivbas were like heavily against moving matches uh, for Shakhtar's European campaign they were like get lost we're not listening to this kind of thing whereas now it's sort of like impossible to to sort of reject that that kind of stuff because there's a new uh sort of regulation that allows um 
teams to put that in and I think they get precedent over it anyway. But I feel that, you know, based on everything that's going to happen, so if Shakhtar win the UPL, they have got a group stage spot in the Champions League next season, guaranteed. And I feel that come May next year, Shakhtar will be champions. Just based on the drive and the need for that, one way or another, they will make it top. And then second, third and fourth is actually anyone's game, in my opinion, <laughs> because it's completely unpredictable so. now. Like That's last cool. season, Dnipro won. They were challenging really throughout. Obviously, they had Dovbik, who was that sort of wild card that, you know, whenever they needed him, he ended up scoring or something like that. And similarly, they had Krasnikov too. Um, and that maybe helped in certain occasions there. Whereas this time around, it's, uh, you know, they're, well, they're, they're missing not, 20 you know, goals, aren't they? Exactly. This season, exactly. Which is a but, hell of a lot of points. But but they're, but they're still doing okay under Maximov. Yeah. So it's just like the fact that Dynamo are in such a rut and even, even the games they have won this season, they've been a bit controversial. Um, like they, they beat Oberlein, what, 4-1 in the league. But remember, there was loads of penalty claims and uh, referee decisions in that. They beat LNZ 4-2, but that wasn't straightforward. Like, I I actually can't believe that myself and others like Victor Vatsko, etc., all predicted Dynamo to win the league this campaign. <laughs> Based on the fact, really, I think that with no European distraction in particular, this was bloody a shoe-in, surely. And here we are. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say uh, going forward, but the Klasichner is going, could be, I wouldn't even say a wake-up call, but it could just be like a hammering home um, of the dire sort of situation that that club finds itself in. You know, my fans would love to know your thoughts on this. I mean, would you would you like to see, I mean, based on what I've read, I think most of you would like to see Lechescu gone. Uh, who would you like to see? And would you, do you think Circus is capable of pulling a left field replacement like Pusic that we've seen at Shakhtar? How, how's, how do you see it working? I mean, it's weird. Here we are. It's, I mean, it's, I suppose it's a nice thing. We're talking about the top of the table. You know, last year we were talking about the fact that teams, was it 11 teams were separated by six points going into the last 10 games. We're all excited for the relegation uh, battle. This year, the bottom of the table seems a little bit more settled, <laughs> especially the bottom two. Um, and it's the top of the table that we're excited about, which surely is a much better narrative for people at home and, you know, We've got to be tuning in to all the, the, the games to watch online because we're talking about top of the table. I mean, Manoy, Verez, do you see anyone else in those bottom two spots, gents? Not really, to be honest. Um, Verez, look, they're really lacklustre. Got Lavrenko, and from what I've seen, they play not particularly great football. There's been talks that he might end up leaving at some stage soon or being sacked. Has a draw against Minai, saved him for another week. Who knows? They've got tough games coming up soon. Minai, I don't really see what they would be able to gain from sacking Sharan and like who they'd bring in to help save them. 
as well. Um, so it's a weird one, in all honesty. Two unbeatable facts. Minai are already complaining of or about the lack of uh, payments. Um, and second, Averis signed uh, Yuri Habovda as their sporting director. Who is Yuri Habovda? Same question here. A former Hungarian uh, lower league uh, attacking midfielder, a Karpati uh, Academy graduate, um, sort of an influential um, non non football. Uh, personality in Western Ukraine, as far as I'm concerned, as he's being asked uh, around for quite a lot of times about his position on this and that, and he's been invited to podcasts. Why is that? Beats me, but he got a job in Veris. And that leads us to the concept of having more sporting directors than the players, or decent players at least, but definitely not decent sporting directors. Definitely so. I mean, for me, Veres is a club that lost its way a few years back. And has been sort of clinging to the coattails of what they that they had in their inception or in their reinception, and yeah, now time has caught up with them, and it's time to have a real big rethink about what they want to do there. You know, you could have them. I think I think we'll all agree they could have the nicest stadium in the Persia next season, especially with Carpati looking likely to to bounce back up. So congratulations to you there. And uh, you won't even have a YouTube uh, to uh, tell everyone about it <laughs> next year. Just a little question, Adam and, and Andrew. Would it be different if uh, the Dmitry Povoruznyuk hasn't left the club? I think it would probably be worse. It's a weird one. I saw a, an interview of Bliznichenko uh, this week, and he was actually complaining that potentially that documentary was a bit too fly on the wall invasive and it showed a bit too much of the managerial talks the bollockings that was given and sort of chats in the thing and that kind of stuff so cracks are forming in Venice and like you say Ray Manai there are talks uh, they got rid of Kolesnik who was one of the guys involved in Punchgate uh, back in back in the winter last year in Turkey um, he's let he, he was just released by the club in the past week, you know. Um, just he's not been playing, I think, at all this season, but he said that there were problems there with payments and all that kind of stuff. So it's a shame because Manai is a very well run club, they've got lots of sponsors, local sponsors, and everything like that. They do really good media work, and, and there's some good guys working there. I just don't understand what the problem is, especially. When you think about it, I mean, I finished eighth last season, if you can believe it. Um, I know they had a really sort of crazy end to the campaign, but it's like you look at everyone above them currently, for example, Alexandria, Zoria, who are like literally in and around there. And you think, bloody hell, there's no way that these two are going to be getting relegated just with the squad that they've got, just with even whoever will be manager there. Uh, and then even you look beyond that, and it's like Metalis 925. They're doing okay. Vorska will probably buck up some stage before the end of the season. Um, Kolos, just that constant middle, mid-table. Whatever you do, you know, they will draw or win, or somehow win 1-0 whenever you need it. Um, Obelon it and Alan said, 
Oblon and LNZ as well. I mean, realistically, I feel that Oblon and LNZ will probably be the ones that will be finding themselves down there come the end of the end of the season um, in those 13th and 14th spots. But like, you know, in comparison to what we what we were talking about last year, where it was really so close between the bottom and um, relegation, I feel that there probably will be a bit a bigger gap there um, come come later on in the season. Now, moving on, uh, we've had another international break and, Andrew, you were bouncing all over Europe in your normal exceptional way, uh, Prague, Malta and Barcelona. Very positive week, wasn't it, for the for the senior and the under-21s as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, job done, basically, from that from that international break. Two wins out of two. I don't really think we need to really talk much about them uh, because they were a couple of weeks ago. But North Macedonia, 2-0 win. Malta, 3-1 win. I think the mo- biggest positive out of that one, really, was that Mordredic got his first uh, international goal that we've been waiting for for so long. And similarly, it's sort of curry carried form in the league on before when he scored against Fulham and then now against Arsenal. Yeah, interestingly, Andriy Shevchenko was there um, at that game alongside, or maybe not alongside, or very close to uh, Vadim Kostyuchenko, who's the UAF vice president. And this sort of comes alongside where there have been letters from almost every single regional FA calling for the sacking of Demyanenko and then replacing uh, the general secretary who's currently in um, in prison. And apparently, as far as I'm aware, Pavelko is not meant to be coming out anytime soon, even though sort of his appeal period is coming to an end shortly as well. So... There were rumours like, what's Shevchenko doing there in that kind of capacity? Is he going to be coming in as the president at some stage soon? Obviously, we've heard those rumours a lot. I guess we'll have to wait and see in the coming weeks if anything does change from that perspective. But at the moment, nothing official, not really seeing anything. And, you know, we don't really know until until we, we end up, until he's actually given that position and whether, you know, UEFA and FIFA accept it you know after those threats that uh, there could be some sort of expulsion and all that kind of stuff last year who knows but interesting developments nonetheless however going back to the football Mudrik <clears throat> what it's good to see him on a crest you know on the crest of a wave riding upwards uh, at the moment anyway, especially after sort of the difficult period, seeing lots of photos and videos and things of like Pochettino basically, you know, doing one-on-one sessions with him. Well, not one-on-one, but just like keeping extra focus on him, arm around the shoulder manager, you know, doing exactly what we know that Mudrik needs to excel, the kind of Jovicovic de Zerbi approach where he's told that he's the best in the world and that he can achieve anything, and that sort of spurs him on. And, you know, great goal against Arsenal. Typical, obviously, against the club that he was meant to join. A shame that he couldn't play against Brentford, which was another club that was heavily interested in him last year. I'm sure that he probably Mm. would have improved Chelsea a lot 
going forward because they look very toothless without him. Uh, he missed that game due to a very minor injury. I think they just didn't want to risk him, you know, getting anything worse or serious, especially with sort of the kind of key games that Chelsea have got coming up in the near future. Um, Spurs, Man City, amongst others in November. So it's it's going to be a tough month um, going forward. But good good stuff from, from Mudrik. And of course, in that Brentford game, Yarmouluk came on for a second Premier League appearance after making his debut against Burnley. And in both of them, 15-minute cameos or so, looked not out of place at all, in all honesty. Looked really confident on the ball. Um, you can tell that he's been with his teammates or he's been working with his teammates for a while. Obviously, he knows them well in training. It's not some like some kind of youth academy player that's been upgraded for like a week and he's sort of get, been given a chance. It's literally, he's been grafting hard since obviously the summer when they were in America and everything. He's got great rapport with everyone. Um, Christopher Ayer was talking very, you know, high praise for uh, Yehor about him in an interview last week after that. And even sort of the club, the club's sort of loving it. So, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see him starting at some stage soon. Um, you know, so. They got West Ham coming up on the weekend. Maybe that might be a bit too soon. But, um, you know, if he keeps on getting these 15-minute cameos, especially with Brentford winning two on the bounce, you know, not, nothing to say that Yermoluk might be, you know, a wild card for, for the Euros next year. Because if he's going to be playing in the Premier League regularly... I think that is always seen as, you know, tenfold on playing in the UPL or something like that. Um, and like I think we mentioned a few weeks ago, whether he could turn into sort of a Sudakov type of guy where he gets called up um, late on and and given an opportunity there. So that will be interesting. But Adam, you saw him at the under-21s in person um, against Luxembourg. And he started against England too in that brilliant win for Unai Malgosa. Um, I mean, the under twenty ones—they look brilliant, don't they? They do. They do. I mean, again, I mean, it's kind of difficult for me because with the summer tournament, I thought, okay, yeah, this is the end of the, you know, the golden generation is now stepping up into. You know, senior football, the Mudricks, the Bondarenkos, Sudakovs, Trubins, the like are all moving on to the next level. Now you look and it's like, yeah, next, the next lot on the production line are coming through and it's bloody great, isn't it? <laughs> Yarmuluk, let's put him to one side for a second because he's somebody that we've been talking about ever since we started this pod. I watched him uh, make his appearance in the First appearance in the Dnipro, or the club representing the city of Dnipro, in their senior team on a friendly back in January of 2020, when he wasn't yet 16 years old. And we knew back then that, damn, that boy's got potential if he's managed right. And the best thing he did was to get out of that club that represents the city of Dnipro badly. Um at a young age, and hopefully, and as we've seen now, more Ukrainian footballers are doing it. However, one key young Ukrainian footballer 
has seemed to have extended his time in Dynamo Kiev as a central midfielder for a long, a long going forward. Uh, Brajko is somebody that is definitely caught the eye of European suitors. Um, at the game in Luxembourg, I spoke with a number of scouts from across Europe, uh, a number of top-level scouts that are watching him closely. And there is a lot of interest definitely there. Um, the question is, will Circus play book? And for long-term listeners of our pod, you'll have your doubts as much as we do as well here. Um, hopefully for him, though, they they do play ball. Um, Ray, thank you for your recommendations on who to look out for up front in particular. The Strikers are really good, aren't they? I mean, uh, that's the one I was going to call in Kvartica then for a second. But he's he's got a great turn of pace about him, hasn't he? And I'm going to be keeping a closer on him. He's really got something, something in about In my opinion, him. yeah, you know, just on that topic, Kvartica for me, uh, been scoring for Ruch pretty consistently <laughs> this season. Uh other than in those nil-nils that they also seem to regularly be getting. But he seems to... He would actually be quite a good player for Shakhtar on that left wing, in mm, my opinion, sure. funnily enough. But but we know that Rook want big bucks for their players, as in Shakhtar have been in the market for Rook players um, have they? over the past, you know, 18 months or so, or at least rumoured to be. Mm. You know, I think for like Vitaly Roman and... Um, a few others, and Sitch even. And I mean, Ruch want like four or five million each for those players. And evidently, someone like Shakhtar won't be paying that. And even, you know, for example, Sitch um, to move to somewhere like Courtrike or something like that for for that kind of money, it's not going to happen, really, because Belgium clubs can't afford that either. So it's like, what? How? How are Ruch really gonna follow this up? To be honest, going forward with their own academy, because they can't turn into a similar sort of a Dynamo case where they're going to be, you know, asking for maybe not twenty-five million, but even still, sort of like a two or threefold more expensive than their real market value probably is. When realistically, what they should be doing is just asking for a bit less and just getting that percentage of the sell-on going forward, which the majority of any other league in the world, uh, of any other sort of smaller leagues in the world do. But but we'll have to see there. But in my opinion, yeah, like you said, Kvastnitsa, uh, excited. Um, Rubczynski, not too bad a player, is he? Uh, you know, and, in the field. and of course, putting a smile on my face, Manchal stepped up, didn't he? He really stepped up with that free kick. I mean, it was great to see. You know, someone else who's been following for a few years, really sort of putting his mark there on top level football. And we took England, of course, the under twenty one team champions in summer, and this yeah. is a team that's had beaten Serbia. What was it, eight one? In nine. their pre nine one in their previous match, and they come out there to uh, Slovakia, wasn't it? They were playing in and. Yeah, Ukraine won. 
quite comfortably. I mean, uh, three two. Well, but, not quite comfortably. I mean, it was went three two. two. Up, <laughs> went two nil up. Come on, Hart, you know, two goals. Yeah, England fought back as you'd expect them to, and Ukraine didn't fold. They went out and got a winner. That's really impressive to see, and it puts and a that, whole new and- dynamic on the group. No, I agree. And I feel that well, that raises my question that I sort of posited when, when that win obviously came through. Whether it's worth having Unai Melgosa involved in the Ruslan Rotan setup for the Olympics. You would hope so. I mean Or is it or is the Olympics like a separate entity? I know that it usually is, but in my opinion, I, I saw a comment on on I think on Telegram on my Telegram. That someone said, no way, it's a completely different set of players, etc. But it's like, it's not, is it? Because it's not. He can, you can only pick um, players born, whatever it's the cutoff date is, it's 2001. It's isn't it? And then anyone over under 23, I think you can only pick three, three. players. So it's going to be a mix of talents and then another mix of, obviously, I feel that it will probably be a big bulk of this under-21 squad mm-hmm. because potentially um, Chelsea won't let Modric go, especially if Ukraine qualify for the Euros. I feel that they might just say, piss off. Uh, Shakhtar might be a bit more lenient because it's, you know, potentially with Sudakov, any- anyone else in their team. So it'll, it's going to be... We'll, we'll come closer to this, obviously, this topic where, when it comes round next summer. But, I mean, it's something that I would hope that OAF would consider or even Rebrov might put a word in say. To, to say, listen, uh, Rothain, this might be a personal project for you. Yeah, you deserve to be there in the final tournament because you led them there. But, you know, Whatever. just going for, going for the actual basis of what we're trying to do here in Ukrainian football, trying to sort of build a vertical system, um, then listen, let Unai come in and we'll try and see what's going on, uh, or at least try and help you get get there. Or we'll help, just help the national team in general. Because, you know, uh, Dimitro July, going back to the Euro 2020, after the court final in 2021 in Rome, saying these guys need to play tournaments like this ones who've got the greatest chance to progress into the national team need to be in that Olympic squad. I mean, that for me is a no-brainer. So if we've got some of these under 23, these under 23 who like, yeah, Rebrov's like, look, I'm not looking at them. Yeah, they were okay in junior football. Now they've graduated the junior football. That's going to be the pinnacle of their career. Right. Okay, thank you very much. We need to look at these under 21s. Who are the ones who are going to be benefit the most from this tournament. It's a free hit, like you say, Olympic Games. It's a bit unique in the whole experience. But there needs to be, as you said, vertical planning right the way through. And I think that, especially given what's going on in the Federation these days, needs to come from Rebrov in particular, where he says, hey, this is a great opportunity for people not involved in the the national team squad over this summer. And we're very hopeful that it's going to be a very active summer for the national team squad to get some good quality football going into the next Nations League cycle, which I 
imagine we'll start in the September 2024 window, international window. So that for me is, yeah, I would be fully on board with with that prospect. Yeah, thank you, Rotan, for everything you did. You can be involved. But we've got to make sure that your role isn't impeding the development of teams going forward. Because let's be honest, prior to that tournament, he wasn't such a great success with the under-21s anyways. And yes been doing all that well in, in over this season. Uh, just a short one. You mentioned middle July and talking about the tournaments. Uh, recently, uh, Ukraine beat Argentina. No, not the world champions, but the Ukrainian national student team at the Student World Cup. And one of the goals was scored by the footballer from FC Chernihiv, who is as we probably mentioned a couple of times, our personal favorite in terms of building the hierarchy, be building the vertical system of football, just like Andrew mentioned. So great results, great uh, headline. And hey, guys, take it easy on Rota. And this guy was uh, covering our backs for so long <laughs> and when we needed it the most. So he was properly roasted today. But hey, all the best to him. Now, Rick, it's been great having you here. Oh. We can't let you go without getting some words from you about Girona. I mean, it's the Ukrainian go-to club now across Europe with two of our top boys out there. How's everything been going on this season? Yeah, unfortunately for the for the sort of underdog tail of it, they lost that one. They lost three 0 against Madrid. It's also the only Girona game I managed to get to so far this season. So I was kind of looking forward to them sort of giving Madrid a good go of it. They didn't managed to well Madrid got an early goal in that one and, and it kind of killed the game a bit they started off well but yeah the rest of the season they've been brilliant that's their only defeat they've won every single other game apart from the first game against Real Sociedad uh, I mean from a the Ukrainian angle obviously Dobovic is the, the big story there he's had a, a really good start to the season he didn't start the season in the team he came on as a sub for the first few games um, and because they've got Christian Stuani, who's kind of a legend at Girona, he's been there for a long time, and, and Dobbuk's managed to, to get him out of the team and, and has kind of taken his spot. Uh, he hasn't completed the 90 minutes yet, Dobbuk, as far as I'm aware. He, he came on at first with Stuani, and since then he's been coming off after about an hour to 70 minutes, that kind of, of time. But yeah, he's good. He scored five goals, a couple of assists. He is a hand, uh, hard to handle for opposition defences. I think he is a good focal point for the team when they've got a lot of players who are who are very technically gifted. And I'm not saying Dobrik isn't, you know, I'm not saying he's bad in that sense, but it's not really his his forte compared to, so you look at Alex Garcia or Savinho, the the other winger they've got who, who started the season really well. Um, so I think he offers something a bit different and, and it kind of complements what, what Girona are doing. And and they've been really good. They've scored a lot of goals in a lot of games. They hit five against Mallorca, five against Almeria. Uh, I think it's got four against Granada, three against Atafe. A lot, of, a lot of goals, and and he's been a big part of that. Yeah, and I mean, we've just this past weekend seen Tankov return after a hamstring injury as well. Came on uh, towards the second half of the game and ended up well. Playing a part, you know, one of those pre-pre-assists that I like to to claim for um, for for the winner. And you know, it's even when they're not playing the best of football, 
especially in the first half of most games, they end up clawing it back a lot of the time. So it's kind of the opposite of Barcelona at the moment, um, really, in terms of of trying to, you know, I don't know, that sort of never say die thing, which towards the end of last season, it's kind of faded away, didn't it? Because I feel that they had a lot of promise. They were close to that first ever European football and then it sort of just faded away. And now they've sort of hit the ground running, lost a few players in the summer. Like you say, Romeo went to uh, to Barca and uh, a few others went elsewhere, but they're sort of going okay. Do you think, and is the what's the consensus about them going the full season, maybe not even in the title charge, but for those Champions League spots, do you think it's possible with the kind of competition they've got behind them? Ooh, I think they can definitely qualify for Europe, which I guess is not saying very much, seeing as they're currently second in the league and, and they've started brilliantly. So maybe that's a bit mean for me, but I, I don't know if they can if they can fight to hold on for a top four spot. It's a, it's a pretty it's a long season and they have players, Girona, who if they get injured, they currently are having some trouble with injuries because Eric Garcia is injured. One of the other defenders got injured in the win over Celta Vigo. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. I think it's David Lopez. We'll see. Uh, what what that does to them, and there there are players in the team like, for example, Dobrik or Alex Garcia, especially. He's kind of the 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 sun that the rest of the team orbits around. If he's injured, for example, then I don't think they're going to be able to to hold on to top to top four. Even 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 then, Europe becomes a, an issue. Of course, there's nothing to say that he will be injured. He's a professional, he's a good player, and I think that. With any luck, he'll stay fit for the whole season, and we'll just see exactly how far Girona can go. But there's their squad is thinner in terms of real top quality talent than than other teams. They'll be fighting for that position. For you look at, for example, Real Sociedad, their best player this season has been Takekubo. If he's injured, they've still got Bryce Mendes. They've still got Mikel Oyarzaba who scored two goals today. There's you know this doesn't really matter if if one player gets injured in that attack. Whereas for Girona, you kind of need all the parts of the team to stay exactly as they are. Which ironically, actually, seeing as I mentioned Real Sociedad, has been Real Sociedad's problem in recent seasons is that they drop off a bit in the in the second half when, when players get fatigued and so on, especially with the way they play. And that could be an issue with Girona too, with the way they play. The players might get tired going going forward into the season. I think that they... I mean, Yanga Herrera is another one who's had a really, really good start to the season. Can all the players keep playing at the same clip, at the same, same kind of with the same energy, with the same quality? I don't know because we haven't seen them do it before. So you look at a team like Atletico Madrid, and across the team, man for man, there, there are some players in Girona's team that made a composite eleven that would maybe get into the the team between them. But we, what we know about Atletico is these players have done season after season after season of finishing in the top four, which we haven't seen with Girona, uh, who are who have started brilliantly, I'm not going to jump off the fence and stay on the fence and say, I'm, it's possible, but I'm not sure that they're going to, they can fight for top four. Yeah. And I mean, just to sort of round that off, uh, they still need to play a fair few of their closest rivals in that regard, because they've played Real Madrid, they've played Sociedad as well, but they've still got Barca to play. They've still got uh, Athletic Club, uh, Valencia, Atletico Madrid. So it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of come out from that first half of the campaign and then what happens in January as well, because 
drone i guess they're not foolproof to selling stars as well and whether they can get anyone in if they end up do selling anyone um from that regard and you know it's not like they sell players for mega bucks either so mm. but they have the man city like that they do have it out. absolutely but it's just that you know for example if they sold you know, someone like Tankov, I, they definitely won't be selling Dobbic, you know, six months into his, into his contract. But, um, you know, for example, Tankov, and th- would they be able to replace him for the kind of bargain money that they brought him in for, which was like, I know, under 5 million euros. So it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for that update. And just before we sort of finally end this sort of Spanish special uh, from this particular pod um Roman Yaremchuk he's also at Valencia we know that at the moment he's not really been playing too much been coming off the bench a few times had a goal disallowed um last week for uh Valencia when he came off the bench for offside it was offside sadly I don't think there's too much to report from that from that perspective at the moment we need to see him starting playing a bit more and then we can sort of focus on that. And the same for Andre Lunin. He's currently second choice. It's a bit of a shame for Lunin because, of, of course, when Cortado got injured, you, you might think, oh, this could be his chance to to play a few games. But no, in came 72 million euro goalkeeper Kepa. Yep. And it's just sort of sod's law from Lunin's perspective. And really, I feel that he should be searching for a move, hopefully, in January. Um, from that perspective, I mean, I think in just the recent past weeks, I saw him li- being linked with Celtic of all clubs. Um, would be interesting if he does. I mean, he just needs some game time, to be honest. He's young enough to develop and then he can sort of... I know that the pinnacle is Real Madrid all the time, but and if really, in all respects, you'll be going down wherever you move next. But I think but you I, just I have think, to buy the bullet sometimes. I, you know what I mean? You're a goalkeeper and you go there then you almost know for sure you're never going to play any games apart from maybe a couple of cup games. So, I mean, okay, look, players have players have very strong mindsets. They think, I am, you know, I'm amazing. I'm going to be able to get into this team and, and take the place of, of whoever's in my way. Because they have to have that mindset to be able to make it that far in the first place. But from a more zoomed-out perspective, it, it, you know, you can never really see a player coming in and taking the spot of, of a uh, test Stegen at Barca or Courtois at Madrid, and and you, we've we've seen exactly what happens when someone like Courtois gets injured. That Madrid think, okay, we'll go and get ourselves another top level goalkeeper. So yeah, Rick, we're all going to be waving the flag here this year for La Liga from the Ukrainian perspective. It's great to see Giroud making such a great start to the year. For those who aren't aware of you, Bob, where where can they listen to it? Pod, yeah, you're right. Everywhere you can get it. Simbro Positivo. Uh, we also have a patron, but, you know, that's only if you love the pod. It's worth signing up to the patron. If not, don't. don't. <laughs> uh, and Twitter, Rick Sharma underscore. Andrew, Ray, it's been a great pod, as always. Really enjoyed listening to your opinions on everything. Um, looking forward to, to the next one. Hope you too enjoy the Klasichnias as much as I'm hoping to. And also I'm hoping to see Hust get another victory on their uh, road to initial eager survival. But till the next time, everyone at home, take care, stay safe and goodbye from now.
Goodbye. Oh